0: Praise God for His grace in your life, your steadfast, His steadfast love for you, and your love in response to Him. Um, I, I, we, we keep opening this book to Acts, and we will keep opening this book to Acts until we finish. We promise we will finish. We hope we finish before the year's end this year, but we are in Acts chapter 18, and um, In our series, we've been talking about the people of God, his church, and the power of God amongst his people as he takes ordinary people and shows his power through the Holy Spirit in accomplishing God's will among the nations. Ordinary people doing extraordinary work for the kingdom of God. That's what I see in our church today. Um, I, I'm amazed every time I hear from our people, from their mouth, their, their, their creativity, their ideas, their thoughts, and what the spirit of the living God has placed in their minds, in their attitudes, in their hearts. And I just stand in awe and watch as the church bees the church is the church. Being the church, I love that saying, be the church, right? So I'm going to include that as much as I can as I preach. But it, it is, when the church is the church, it's, it, it is a beautiful thing. We're literally living out the book of Acts sometimes. That's how I feel. In our city, in our world. And you'll see that today when we deal with Corinth. Um, but one of the issues that we deal with as people who live on mission or live out the gospel is sometimes it can be exhausting. I, I, will, I will tell you that. Um, I was looking out on Wednesday night as some of the Moroccan team was sharing, uh, their North Africa team was sharing uh, what God had done on the trip and how to share the gospel with Muslims. And I was looking at our people and some of them were falling asleep. And I was thinking, yeah, it's been a big weekend it's been a big few months at the church, and um, but maybe you're falling asleep right now, right? You're exhausted. You had a long weekend. You camped out with some 20 and 30-something-year-olds, and you're exhausted. You've been with people, and it's hard. You've been engaging people in vape shops, right? It's hard. It's exhausting, You've listened to people and their problems. And you've been able to share the hope that is in Christ. But let me ask you this even even pandemic wise, school wise, activity wise, all of these things wise, are you tired? Are you exhausted? God knows that, right? But do you trust that He will provide for you when you are exhausted? God is our Jehovah Jireh, our provider. In this passage, we see Paul who is tired. And God provides Paul three amazing things that he needs one is companionship, two is time, and three is encouragement from God Himself. And He provides all three of those things. Don't miss this, church. God is your provider this morning. And if you're not looking carefully, one can miss God's provision in your life. This is why I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Reassuring Spirit. So let's look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and we'll start there this morning. God's provision for Paul in Corinth, and we'll stand as we read God's word together. Acts chapter 15, 18, we're not in 15, we're past that. We're gone. We're, we're way past that. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. While Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Let's be seated. Let's pray for our time together. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to your word, that you would allow us to hear from your word this morning, to hear from what you're doing amongst Paul, that you would do um, a great work in our hearts and minds. And Father, as we enter into our city, Father, may we be reassured that you are with us, that this is your, that you have people here. And Father, may we be reminded of you are the God that provides for us. You provide friendships, You provide financially for us. And Father God, you provide encouragement from your word, your truth. Would you provide that this morning to your people in your church? We ask, Father, that our hearts would be stirred with encouragement from the word of God this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. In the 1800s, there was a man, you may have heard of him, that epitomized trusting in God's provision for his life. Every area of his life. George Mueller was his name. He's one of the greatest men of prayer that, has ever, that, that we have ever seen. He ran an orphanage in which he took care of more than 10,000 children during his lifetime. And not one time did he ask for support. He would ask for his heavenly father to provide for what he needed, and the children needed as well. It all all started when he went back to college without um, without knowing how he was going to pay for his tuition. He, he, he did something that he thought was a bit silly for a grown man to do. He got on his knees and asked God to provide. To his surprise, an hour later, a professor knocked on his door. He offered George a paid tutoring job. And George was amazed. And this was the beginning of George Mueller's dependence upon God. He would always ask for his heavenly Father to provide... For him and his children. You fast forward into 1845 in Bristol, England. While George is supposed to take care of the children at his orphanage. In which God has provided these children. For him to be in charge of. To take care of. And the children are dressed and ready for school. But there was no food for them to eat. That day. The house mother of the orphanage informed George. That there is no food for the children. And George asked for her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and he waited. He thanked God for the food that he didn't have and he waited. <laughs> George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. What a coincidence. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. So he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, just enough for the 300 thirsty children. You see, George Miller lived a life of prayer. He relied upon God to supply his needs. He also trusted in God's provision. Sometimes that's difficult. God even knows that. God sometimes allows us to completely trust in his provision blindly. And other times he gives us reassurances that we are on the right path. In the case of Paul in this story, God provides and reassures Paul that this is his city, to trust in God's provision for Paul to continue the work in which he had called him to even when he was exhausted and tired and felt alone. Remember, Paul has been on, at it, this second missionary journey. He's been thrown in prison. He's been beaten with rods. He had to, to leave a city and a people that he loved in Thessalonica, escaping in the middle of the night. He'd reasoned in Athens with all these philosophers. Now he comes to the cosmopolitan city of Corinth. Think Vegas, okay? When you think of Corinth, think Vegas of the ancient world. Lots of people just passing through, releasing their inhibitions to the wind. It was one of the most sexual and moral places on the face of the earth. Even the city had a slogan that was named after it. It meant to Corinthianize, which meant to live immorally. Whatever happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. No, that's Vegas. Sorry, that's Vegas' statement. No, Corinthianized was their wording that they would use. One of the reasons for the immorality was the huge temple to the goddess of love, Aphrodite, in which each evening a thousand priestesses would descend into the city and ply their trade of prostitution. And Paul walked into this city after, after being broken down with all the philosophers of Athens. Discouraged. Overwhelmed. At the depravity. The greatness of the city. And his loneliness. This is what he says in the letter to the fir- in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, then I, when I came to you, brothers, I, I, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul admits to being weak, to being afraid, to being in much trembling when he's sharing with the Corinthians. Immorality, the idolatry, the arrogance rocked him because the people were so proud of their intellect, their their wealth, their power, their culture, even their sexual immorality. Paul was a bit discouraged as the story unfolds. Maybe it's like some of you this morning. You're discouraged by the world in which we live. You're overwhelmed. Maybe you're even afraid or fearful. At what we see in our world, the depravity of man. Let's see what happens here. Verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. We think that, that they actually... Um, made all the Jews leave Rome because they were debating amongst the Christians as to who Jesus was and they caused them all to leave. So maybe Priscilla and Aquila are actually Christians here. And he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. This is our first point this morning. God provides. What does he provide here in this passage? He provides people to work alongside in gospel ministry. It's called the church. God provides people to work alongside in gospel ministry. Paul is tired, he's alone, he's poor, he's overwhelmed, he's down. And God provides him with people who will labor with him. I think we have um, definitely individualized ministry work in the present history of the church. Even in evangelism, it is the body of Christ who leads people to Christ. If we're waiting on just the pastor to lead people to Christ, or just Matt McConnell or or Kelly McConnell or Kathy Welburn to lead people to Christ, we need everybody coming alongside to lead one to Christ. One plants, another waters, and God gives the growth. You see, it's the body of Christ who encourages one another, who stirs each other up toward love and good deeds is the encouragement that comes about through God's church. Paul is overwhelmed and he finds one family. One family in which he stays. He becomes a part of their life. He works with them, discipling this couple, this one family who will one day hold the church of Corinth in their home, okay? Who is your one? Let me ask you that, who is your one? Paul is overwhelmed by the depravity of the city. God brings him one family. So many times we're working as individuals and feel exhausted or worn out and yet God has provided a team for you. A lot going on here, but I I want to point out a few things here in the text. We see a family, Priscilla and Aquila, a couple. They're mentioned multiple times in Paul's letters and they're mentioned together every time. Priscilla and Aquila. Why? Because they're a team in ministry. It says that in, in the next, next section, which we hope to get to next time, they disciple Apollos together. They're a team husband and wife if you know Jordan and I we are a team in ministry you guys you've seen that and and I believe that this works well together the husband and the wife a team when they can be used together for gospel advancement and kingdom work this team let's let's see what this team is about they're about hospitality They're about sacrifice, they're mobile, they actually travel with Paul as he goes to Ephesus. They're focused on the work of the gospel as they're discipling and training up Apollos. They host the church in their home, they're advancing the gospel, they're shepherding people. A team can be a husband and wife for ministry. That's difficult. I assure you that's difficult. But it doesn't have to be just a husband and wife team. Who does Paul have on his team? He has Silas and Timothy. They're coming, but they're not there yet. Paul is alone and he. He grabs a hold of Priscilla and Aquila, a single man working with a family team. Okay? It's interesting. I love this. I can go here all day. If you're single, find a team. They can be a married couple. They can be other singles. If you're married, find a team with who God has provided as your spouse first and branch out to other teammates right? The Philippian jailer, he has a team. Who's his team? His family, all coming to Christ. Lydia, her family, all coming to Christ in Philippi. Who has the Lord provided for you to work alongside? You say, oh, well, I just haven't. I don't have anybody to work alongside me. I, I'm not sure who, who's my team. I'm not sure who's in gospel ministry with me. I'm not sure all of these things. Ask for help. I need your help in sharing the gospel. Will you share it with me? I need my, your help in reaching my neighborhood. Will you help me? I... I... I believe that this church has many people who want to help and are waiting to be asked. I need you to help me start a Bible study with my coworker. Paul is provided with this couple who he works with, he stays with, he does life with, he does ministry with. And then Paul and Silas come. Paul is working as a tent maker And on Saturday, Sabbath day, he's going and preaching the gospel. He's working, discipling Priscilla and Aquila as he's working. Saturday, he preaches the gospel. He's gospel in life, right? And then these guys come. Verse verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul was occupied... When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Now we know from Paul's other letters what this means, Silas and Timothy coming. It means that they come with money. They come with gifts from the Macedonian churches. So Paul drops his tent making and now he's sharing the gospel every single day. 2 Corinthians eleven nine nine says this, and when I was with you, I was in need. I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Philippians four fifteen. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel which I when I left Macedonia no church entered in partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. These brothers Silas and Timothy bring these gifts into which Paul can be completely devoted to the word of God and continuing the church here in Corinth. And guess what he does? It is Paul's, it is God's provision for Paul. A team, finances to continue the work, this is what happens. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. This is our second point this morning, which is this. Don't waste your life. God's provision for Paul was a team and money to be able to preach the gospel. God has provided for you to live your life where you are right now. Don't miss the opportunities that you have been given to make a difference in people's life. God didn't provide the money at first, why? So Paul could tent make and disciple Priscilla and Aquila. Paul was downcast. He had all these obstacles that seemed overwhelming that he, yet he used what he had been given to leverage it for the kingdom of God. He was a tent maker. He met tent makers. He discipled them. He was given the Sabbath day to go and discuss spiritual things with the Jews, and he did it. He used it. Now he's begin, been given the provision of time. And what does he do with the time that he has been given by the gifts of the churches in Macedonia? He occupies it with the word of God. And what happens? Many Corinthians hear and believe and are baptized. Ephesians 5.15 says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Don't waste your life. God has provided you to breathe. Today, God has provided so many things for you today. Don't waste your life. You may be here and you may say, you know what, I, I don't have a lot of time. God hasn't provided me a lot of time. But I have a job and I'm doing workplace evangelism. Praise the Lord for you. Praise God for you. You may say, you know what? I, 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 I don't have a lot of time, but God has provided for me financially and I'm a giver. Praise God for you, for the advancement of the gospel through the finances and what you give. Man. You may say, I don't have a lot of money. God hasn't given me that provision of a, of a lot of money. Maybe I don't even have a lot of skills. But what I do have is time. Start occupying your time with the word so that you can teach and disciple and invest in human beings' lives and show them love. Praise God for you. God bless you. The church needs all of them. The church needs all that God has provided in the way that he has provided for you specifically. Let's talk real for a minute, okay? If we haven't already talked real, let's talk real for a minute. If you're here at this church to show people love, guess what? You're in the right place. If you're here to be loved on, well, you're in the right place too, okay? (laughs) We're glad you're here. It's just we expect at some point in your growth process that you show that love that you have been shown in your life to someone else. We expect you to pay it forward the way that God has shown and the church has shown love to you we expect that love at some point in your growth process to be shown to someone else I guess the question is what occupies your time what is it that occupies your time let's not waste our time chasing rabbits Let's make an impact for the gospel and the, for the kingdom and the lives of people today. How about just inviting someone to lunch after the service that you may not know and asking them how they're doing in their life? Seems like a very simple thing, yet it's very difficult to do. Asking someone you don't know and then asking them about their life. We, we had a uh, men's, men's camp out this weekend and I asked the men two questions and I'm gonna ask you those same questions. What, what has God provided for you that you can praise God and thank him for? And the second question goes hand in hand with this is in what ways are you not trusting in God's provision for your life and trying to take it into your own hands. Let's look at verse 9 this morning. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, "Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent." For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. When you look at Joshua chapter 1, if you look at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says in, in the Great Commission, Lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. Joshua chapter 1, he tells Joshua, Moses is dead. I am with you just as I was with Moses. In Acts chapter 1, he says, you, spirit of the living God, will be with you. And you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. God is with you. That's our third point this morning. God is with you, his church. Praise God. The greatest gift that you could be given is the Holy Spirit. God within you. Paul is afraid. He's scared. He's fearful. He doesn't know what will happen to him next. The city is big. Is far from the Lord, and by his own admission in his letter to the Corinthians, he is speaking with weakness, fear, and trembling, and God again provides what he needs in encouragement. Church, God is providing Paul with encouragement. Paul sees a vision, and he says, do not be afraid. Why? Because Paul is afraid. He says, go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? Because Paul is thinking, maybe I shouldn't be here. And he says these words, for I am with you. Isn't that a great truth? I am with you. God has provided companionship for Paul. He's provided discipleship, opportunities for Paul. He's provided time When Paul and Silas, or Silas and Timothy, bring the gifts, and now Paul has provided much needed encouragement from the Lord Himself. In Genesis 2, there's a scene there's no plants, there's no water, there's no man to work the fields, there is no man. In the garden, there's no fruit, there's no trees. This is what the beginning of the section begins with. We have a problem, and this is the problem, and yet God in his provision for his creation is going to fix the problem. He's gonna put trees in this beautiful garden. He's gonna have the water come up from the ground and water the earth. He's gonna breathe life into a man to keep and to guard and to safe keep his beautiful creation. And then he's gonna say, and it's not good for man to be but alone. I'm, I'm gonna provide for him a helpful, suitable, a helper, excuse me, a helper suitable for him, which is woman. Beautiful depiction of God's provision in all of these things. Provide this family, this marriage, to guard and keep it. He says, I'm providing these trees, the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which, by the way, if you eat of this tree, you will die. But really, the true trees... A representative of trusting in God's provision, or saying, I, "I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do my own thing." I, I really want this. I know God's provided all of these things for me over here, but I really want this fruit. Man, I really want to know this good and evil, even though God has provided. The tree of life. I kind of want this outside of God's provision, taking life into our own hands. It's it's the story of the Bible. The reality is, we're in it. Are we going to trust in God's provision and what He has provided for and be grateful and thankful for? We're going to go, you know what? I, I really need this, I'm going to steal for that money, or I'm going to cheat, I'm going to lie, or you know what, God has provided me a wife, or he will provide for me a wife, I'm going to go do these things. It's, it's again and again the same story, will you trust in God's provision, or will you do your own thing? And ultimately, those two trees in the garden, God will provide again for mankind. He will provide the perfect sacrifice who will be hung on a tree. The same tree that we partake of, he took that curse on that tree and he died. And that is God's provision for you for salvation to be with God for all eternity. So yeah, when you don't trust in God's provision and you're outside of his design, whether it be trusting in Christ for salvation or whether it be trusting him today with what he's given you, it's gonna be a hard road. It's going to be a very difficult road. And again, God knows what Paul needs. He knows what you need. And guess what? In His timing, in His way, we will trust in God's provision. Not only for my life, for the life of this church, but for your life. And what God has given to us. God says, This is my city. This I have people in this city. These are my people. It's wicked. It's depraved. It's it's wrought with sexual immorality. Yet I have given it to you. Keep going, Paul. And he says that to you this morning. Keep going, church. Don't give up. God has great plans that are just around the corner for you. But God's greatest provision is that he is with you. No matter what storm, no matter what happens, God has provided himself in the form of the Holy Spirit to be with you. Continue in the journey. Trust God's provision for your life. He is Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give Paul a reassurance that he is on the path in which you have called him to. We pray this morning that you would reassure people in this room and encourage them that they are on the path in which God has called them to And if not, we pray that you would convict them. We pray that you would stir their hearts again back to this beautiful God who provides. That they would trust in God himself and his provision for their life. Lord, we are grateful and thankful for what you have given. We are grateful and thankful for the gift that you gave which is Jesus upon the cross for sinners. We are overwhelmed by your love and your mercy for us. May us not reject you. May us not reject your provision even today in our life, in a wicked and evil world that we live. May us, let us not waste our life. Let us see the opportunities in which you are placing in our path for your glory. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.